Oh, certainly. Thank you again for being here tonight. It seems like a lot of things going on in Chilliwack tonight. Two weddings, and so I appreciate the uh, leadership of your church in uh, in initiating this and inviting me to speak on this. Now, my purpose tonight is not to make you feel guilty, and I'm sure that you're going to feel guilty. There's not a single person in this audience, I am sure, that will walk away remembering how you have failed in your own personal walk of life, dealing with your own sexuality. You know, the passage in John 8 where Jesus is confronted with the these Pharisees, and this woman caught in adultery. And you remember when he asked the question, Whosoever of you is without sin, cast the first stone. Now that's not a general statement, without sin, without this sin. Cast the first stone. And you notice that they all walked away, from the youngest to the oldest. And that's a universal truth. I have no stones to cast at you. Because I speak out of the pain of my own failure. My journey through my adolescent years is marred with acts that I cannot undo. And there are probably in the audience others who say, and that's me too. And so I've learned over my life that when there is pain, God means us to turn it into gain. That's what I'm trying to do tonight. My pain, I want to be your gain and your kids' gain. Yeah, so if I'm frank with you, then it is not at all to make you think bad of me, because I'm just like you. And you're just like me. We're on the same level. Whether I'm standing in a podium with a black suit or whether you sit in a seat like you do tonight. My purpose is not to make you feel guilty. My purpose is to equip you, to encourage you, whether you are a parent or a grandparent. I'm so thankful to see grandparents here. Your task is not over when your kids get married. Your task is only expanding because you've got grandkids now. They're coming in and out, and they are having a little different respect for grandma and grandpa than they have for mom and dad. Because they're not quite so disrespectful to you. I need this. I noticed that at least. <laughs> There's a little bit more. Oh, grandma, opa. You know? They don't argue as much as the grandparents as they do with the parents. Have you noticed that? You have a task. Because when you say something, it's different than when mom and dad say something. So therefore, I'm so thankful you're here tonight as well, just to equip yourself more, because your task is not over. Uh, this is uh, definitely the case. Now, I hope you have uh, my outline. And uh, can I put this thing away? It just sits on my face. <laughs> is that a, hindering anybody else to see me better? And I'll just take it totally off. Because I don't need it, right? This is good enough. Perfect. Now I really feel free. <laughs> so, why this topic? I spent the whole day in uh, Timothy Christian and yesterday in Mount Chen. 
to talk to your kids and grandkids. Have they talked to you about it? Have they come home with all kinds of big stories about this pastor doesn't believe in dating? <laughs> the first thing I heard last night. Oh man, we're going. Yeah, are you going to listen to that man tonight? He doesn't believe in dating. Now that was a misinterpretation. That's not what I said. I just don't believe in the dating we do the way we do it. And and they of course kids they take everything out of context, and they make you say something that you never said. I had a great day with them. Also today, your kids are so worth every ounce of your effort. Uh, they they are they are journeying through a time that you and I have journeyed through. That's tough. That's challenging. In which we fall and fail. In which we are super insecure. The biggest mouth, the most insecure kid. Yeah, the one that fights the hardest against you. Count on it. He's actually not that secure. But he wants to prove himself. So if you kind of recognize how these kids work, you know, you, you prick through them real quick. Why would we fight back? It's probably not that useful. But anyway, it was a great job. My, ta my task this afternoon or this day was to show them the joy and the job of building healthy relationships and particularly trying to do that in the relationships to the opposite sex. Now, realizing that there's maybe even young people among us that are confused about their sexuality. Yeah, that's a very tender subject, and um, we need to uh, be aware of that. But I will tonight not deal with that. I deal tonight with what is the most common among us. Now, why this topic? Let's take a look at the outline. When our children become teenagers, adolescents, picture that the nice, smooth river all of a sudden becomes a white river with boulders and, and, and trunks and, and, and curves and shallows and waterfalls and so on. That's teenage, adolescence life. It can be dangerous, can be deadly, can be exciting. Yeah? Those are the opposite emotions that our young people go through. Now they have to go through it because that's the only way you get to adulthood. Can't skip it. You and I couldn't skip it. They can't skip it. So they need your help. Especially today, this uh, preparation is more than ever necessary to deal with how we manage our sexuality because our society has just gone absolutely into a state of chaos. Yeah? For uh, sex with each other today, it's like an iced coffee. That's how they talk about it. Let's have a fling. That's the word they use, especially on college level. Let's have a fling for tonight. What does that mean? Oh, we'll just go have a little sex together and no, no obligations. Tomorrow we'll just go away and we'll see each other maybe another time. Facebook Marketplace, the other day a woman from our own circles sold something. Next day she got a text from the buyer who picked up her product. He wrote this literally. Maybe you think it's a strange question, but I find you a very beautiful woman. She's a married woman. And I have the feeling it, uh, it will click well together between you and me. 
So are you open for some non-committal sex together tonight? Imagine getting that on your phone. This is the world we live in. Just see the great lady, married or not, just making a proposal like that. This is what your kids are facing. Now, I didn't face this kind of stuff when I grew up. Right? It's just, like I said, for them, living in this world is a different world than we live in. The gospel of the world is, it's my body and my choice. The word of God says, it's my body and my choice. They're diametrically against each other. And our children are sitting in the middle of that polar opposite messages. And therefore, fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, you cannot afford to do what I experienced. I never was spoken to about sex. I love my father and mother. I admire my father and mother. And I am sure if I would have brought up the subject with my father, he would have been the best, best companion in that battle. But since the good old man never talked to me about it, I wouldn't have the heart to mention it to him that I was struggling with sexual addiction. I didn't dare to do that. So I walked my whole adolescence by myself, failing and falling and failing and falling and heaping guilt and dirty minds on myself. And you cannot afford your kids to go through that. Especially not in this day and age when they are inundated with all kinds of messages through media and so on. In the Netherlands this last summer, there was a hot girl summer list with literally thousands of participants. And girls could earn points on this app. You go like three points if you have a picture with a kiss of a total stranger. Imagine that. Walk up to a stranger and have a kiss from you and chick, somebody took a picture. Three points. You can get ten points if you make a naked picture of yourself and send it to the site. Ten points. Twenty points if you gave away your virginity. This is the world we're living in. This is what our children face. So that's why I tonight would love to ask you to get involved more with your children. We're living in a world that is an incredible confusing place for young people. And as parents, you cannot afford not to talk to them about their beauty, the wholesomeness. I mean, listen to this word. The holiness of sex. Said, That's not the right word, Pastor. We'll come back to that word. So tuck it in your mind. For that's a biblical word that the scriptures uses to describe sex. And I don't like the word sex. I always hesitate to use it. Because it has such a loaded, dirty association in our mind as we always hear the way the world talks about it. But there is simply no other word that we could use to make it identifiable. Now, on your outline, I said that uh, preparation is a key. You know, if you people are in canoeing and kayaking, 
and, and, and you are in light water kayaking, which I, is not my favorite. I, I am scared of water, certainly of that kind of water. <laughs> right? But if you are sending a kid with a kayak into a light water section, you better do some preparation, right? You get a helmet on, you get a life jacket on. You teach these kids how to handle these currents, where to go, where to flow with it, and so on, to avoid crashing. Now, preparation is necessary. I was yesterday in middle school and they did a workshop, metal workshop, wood workshop. So I was listening to the guy, the teacher, and instructing all the teaching that these kids get about safety and about, you know, accountability and so on. Great stuff, wonderful stuff. And we do that. We do that with our kids. We teach them that this is not safe and that's not safe. And then we come to the subject of sexuality and gets all a little iffy. Not a whole lot is said. Parents, can I encourage you tonight not to do that anymore? After a uh, speaking session at a conference, uh, Donald Joy was the speaker. And I don't know the man, but he, I read the story. He opened up for a question and answers. And um, at the end of the, of the message, and there's an old man standing up. He thought, oh no, an old man is going to tell me some off, you know, way too, way too frank about this. And the old man, he stood up and he says, Donald... Where were you when I was 15 years old? I needed that talk then. Uh, and friends, I'm sure you recognize that old man. If you are an old man today, um, you would have liked that. And as an old girl as well, of course, uh, we know no difference. Now, to prevent our children from being sucked away in this incredible white water um, of their adolescence, we need to pass on our trade secrets. Now, you notice that on the outline, trade secrets. What are our trade secrets? What you have learned, rightly or wrongly. Your experience. Those are your trade secrets. I have made some dreadful mistakes. Should I share those with my kids? Uh, on the high toes. No, I don't want the high toes. I have never hidden them. On the appropriate times I still grew up, I told them how dad failed. And I don't want you to go with that failure. And what did I do wrong? Well, one of the things I told them, I didn't listen to my old man. That's where I went wrong. He had a better insight in some things. He didn't talk about this, but he did talk about some general things. Yeah, those are the trade secrets. I say, ah, oh, you say, yeah, that's too embarrassing. Well, if you go on to speak about this subject, get ready for some questions. Did you do that, Mom? Did you do that, Dad? And now what are you going to say? He said, I'm not talk about that. See, if you don't do that, you don't make a connection. I've always learned the more vulnerable I am with my children, the more they trust me to share their problems. Otherwise, they think you're kind of a saint up there. You don't know their struggles. But if they hear that you have the same struggles, or had the same struggles. Now there's connection. 
And now they know they can come safely to you because you've been there. So, if you look in your outline, an ounce of uh, prevention is far more than a pound of cure. Now, you've heard me say that more often. But see, I want to get myself out of a job. And, and so in pastoral ministry, you're always trying to heal the problems after the problem has occurred. So my goal has been all these last years to be out of the game and let's see what I can prevent of this happening. So, number one, sexual sins are no more sinful than other sins. It seems like that always in churches because they only make confession of sin for that commandment. Right? Nobody stands up for the breaking of the fourth commandment or the fifth commandment having been a dishonorable disrespectful person to your elders or your minister I don't hear that kind of a confession and it happens all the time people that don't come to the Lord's day or don't keep the Lord's day very faithfully even members of our church they never get into discipline for that but there's obviously a public nature to some of the sexual sins when there's a pregnancy yeah then okay yeah guess now we have to make confession or kill so we kind of have embellished this one sin above all the others that's not fair for God's sin is sin and yet there is something different to sexual sin they are more damaging for the person himself or herself they are in some way more of a harmful damaging result and, and that's why we need to uh, read that verse well, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Paul says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Every sin, except he that committeth fornication, sexual sin, sinneth against his own body. And, 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 and friends, that is what we need to keep in mind. The damage is usually intensified when there is sexual assault, which I'm not talking about tonight. But what is sexual assault? If you notice, I, I lost my page, so I'm looking for the right page here. I might have it somewhere else. Ah, I think I found it. Um, what is sexual assault? Is sexual assault when your daughter is taken out on a date? And the young man drives into the dark alley, sits off the car, and she says to him, what are you doing? Oh, well, I thought we could have some fun together. And starts to pressure her for some sexual time. Is that sexual assault? No, the police won't say that's sexual assault. But it is sexual assault, in my opinion, because he's pushing himself over her boundary without that permission and perhaps the girl isn't assertive enough and is falling and is damaged so maybe the next day she's dumped because that goes very often this way so that's why you need to protect and why we need to pre prepare our children for this whole matter now, the current cesspool of our days, I already mentioned something about that. The, the, the mess in our society is obviously uh, incredibly damaging. Sexual activities are not seen as a special gift to the married, but as a entertainment or recreational sport. And you read that statement and you think, is that really what people think? 
That's what they do. Especially when your kids are going to college level. They have there a sexual code that is totally unbiblical. And young college students are sexually active just one after the other. Sometimes they burn themselves. They say, well, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you get some bad food, you get a sour stomach. That happens also when you have sometimes a sexual encounter that is not good. Now, these kids are growing up into adults and hopefully will get married sometime and they think they can just step out of that lifestyle without any results. But they don't, don't they? Because God is an avenger of all trespasses of this boundary. And adults struggle on and struggle on. Their own marriages get compromised. Their own uh, intimate life together is invaded with memories, with flashbacks, with regrets. Do you want your kids to go through that? I'm sure you all love them so much you say, no, I don't want to. And that's why the three P's of sexual education. Prepare, prevent, protect. What do you think? Do you children at this moment, if, I would, if you'd be able to ask them, do they see sex as a gift of God? You don't have to answer me, but you should think about your children. Do they, if you would ask them, say, child, do you see sex as a gift of God? Will they say, yes? Or say, nah, I don't think so. We need to prepare their mind to think positively about this very beautiful gift that our Creator has given us. I'll come back to that. Um, We need to prepare them to see this particular human activity between a man and a woman in a marriage situation as one of the most unique gifts in human relationships. And when God indeed finished his work of creation and he put Adam and Eve together and he told them you should leave father and mother, cleave to each other, become one flesh, be fruitful and multiply. And then he said, and all he made was very good. And that included their coming together as husband and wife. Are our children thinking that? That this is something very beautifully given by God. We need to prepare them to think about premarital sex as dangerous. Not only dangerous to their health, there's a healthy issue because there's a huge amount of sexual, uh, sexual diseases going around. Uh, every year, 40 to 80,000 cases are added to this country of sexual diseases. In my, in my own town in the Wairapa, I did some research here today. There are children aged 13 and 14 coming into the doctor's office with sexual transmitted diseases. It's dangerous. Some of the sexual transmitted diseases have an incubation period of 20 years. So your teenager could have some sex with someone and they're 17 and never get married to the person, get married somewhere else, maybe 22 years, and then when they're 37, bang. Where'd that come from? 
I've been faithful to you. Yeah. 20 years ago. That's where I came from. Are our kids knowing that? Are we telling this then? It's playing Russian roulette to have sex outside of marriage. It's dangerous. Because you know what that person has been, who he has been or she has been to bed with before. And so the thing spreads. There's so much damage. We need to prepare them to learn to say no and why to say no. And of course that's uh, not always easy to know why to say no. You know, but they don't. So, prevention. Important. Do you know that when your boy becomes 15 till he's 20, he has more testosterone in his body than he will ever have in the rest of his manhood years. And so boys think nearly 85% of all their thoughts with sexual connotations. And I wish I could say, once you're 20 years old as a man, that's over. But all men know that's not the case. I am fair to admit, 61 years old, still struggle daily with tempting thoughts. It's never over. But it is the most intense when they're a teenager. Because that is kind of the time that God, of course, intended biologically, I think, for young men to get married. And in former cultures, that was the case. And in more primitive cultures, by the age of 14, 15, 16, they all hopped into the marriage boat. In our culture, we don't. We have them still in high school at that stage. And we still have other education to do. So they have to keep on delaying and delaying. You know how difficult it is for these kids. If they live in this sexualized society. And if they don't get someone to walk with them in the journey. So let's think about that. And then the last one is to protect. And that's obvious. We need to protect any trespass into the sexual garden. And I'm talking about your daughters. I think about your daughters when I speak about the garden. And that's not an... Actually, that's a biblical... That's a biblical symbol of the book of Song of Solomon. It speaks about the garden. Let my beloved come into my garden. In end of Song of Solomon 4. Now, we, we spiritualize the whole book of the Song of Solomon. That's beautiful. But in my personal opinion, the first intention of the Song of Solomon is God's marriage counseling book. And there's a lot of analogies, of course, between the marriage life and the spiritual relationship. But you can't spiritualize everything in the book of Song of Solomon. If you go to chapter 4, where the husband is in the bedroom with his wife, and you read that whole description of how he speaks so tenderly and so romantically about his wife as he adores every part of her and at the end of that chapter she invites him to come into her garden that is she invites him to make love with her so that picture of the garden fathers or rather mothers or both if you begin to tell your daughters 
that they are a garden. A garden that needs to be guarded, not trampled, not someone rushing in and taking something out and rushing out again, but something to be guarded until they're married. And then, then they are and allowed to give permission to the man to whom they are married to come into the garden. Now that is a beautiful symbolism and a picture. And we need to do more to prevent our girls from being trampled by these predators. And what are these predators? Normal boys. High antitestoron boys. Who you allow to go with your daughter on a date. That never was allowed. That you know a hundred years ago in the 1920s. When the police would see a young man and a young woman who are not married. Not brother and sister. Unaccompanied in public. He'd give them a ticket. A felony charge. That was not permitted a hundred years ago. You think this is crazy. That's not. You go look it up. A hundred years further, we say to the young man, yeah, you can take her along. Get into the car. Who knows where. They go to the beach. They go swimming. I'm sorry, when I go to the beach, I have a battle. So I rather don't go to any beach. Except in New Zealand. Because you can actually go to the beach and be by yourself. I love it out there on the beaches. There's nobody. But here I, I, I honestly don't ever really feel like going. Because it's a constant battle. Now, we are allowing our unmarried teenagers to go there. Are we a little bit lies or are we a very big fool what do you think and then we are then we are getting confused or we're getting troubled and we're upset when this boy does something yeah or when this girl does something friends we got to do more please i want you to take it along in the book of song of solomon again may i quote you the last chapter verse uh, chapter eight um, really interesting verse. I don't know if you ever noticed it. Um, these are, I think, the, the brothers talking of the bride. Maybe father had died. It says this. Um, we have a little sister, and she has no breast. So, she's a young girl. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? Now she's grown up, so now she's a marital age. Then verse 9, if she be a wall, we built on her a palace of silver. If she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedars. If she's a wall, if she's protected, if she is setting her own boundaries, if she is not a loose living girl, we'll build on her a palace of silver. But if she's not... We become the wall to her. If she's a door and she lets everybody in and out, we'll put a wall around her. That's, that's just a beautiful picture of what we need to do to prevent. And then, it's not just the girls that are to be the gatekeepers. 
of their own sexuality. This afternoon, I challenge all our young boys and young men to finally become men. We men, and we need to train our boys much more proactively to think about them to be leaders. Leaders are not people who are using their authority to control. That's not a leader. A leader is a person who is using his authority to lead, to serve, to sacrifice, to uphold, to support. I challenged the young man this afternoon. I said, when you guys go dating, will you be a leader to protect the young woman? That is how God created his males to be. Guys, let's rise to the task. Let's become real men. And real men are men that protect the vulnerable and the weak and stand up for the causes of injustice. Are not the ones that destroy and they're not the ones that take. They're the ones that give. Not the macho man, look at me. But the gentle men. With a little dash in between. Gentle men. And who was the real gentle man? Lord Jesus he didn't abuse his authority ever he had all the authority in the world he never abused it to take he always used it to give that's a real man and so give your voice much more of these man talks to become the knights in shining armor to protect and not to crash the gate of the wall of that girl when they go take on a date. And, and fathers, as I have led my children to their dating, that's what I've done. I've said to my boy, my boys repeatedly, guys, you are to stay out of that garden until the day you stand before God and may receive each other. And I give you the charge to watch that garden gate. Give those guys responsibility. Talk to them after the day. Did you keep your promise? Don't assume they did. Keep them on that purity code. Now, that's how we need to walk with our kids and our young people in the journey towards marriage. So that that whole ceremony, when they walk up here and say, Who gives this woman to this man? It's not a mockery. Because she's taken her already. And show to them what a beautiful moment it is that if you as a girl could walk down in this aisle in this white dress. And that white dress is not a mockery. Because you kept yourself pure for this day. And if you could stand there waiting for your little bride to come down the aisle. And hear the father say, "My, her mother and I. What is that a beautiful moment? Talk to your boys and girls like that. Yeah, that's what I would say preventing. Now, let's go to the next page. Guiding our children to understand sexuality. Fathers and mothers, it is your parental privilege of initiation. It's not the church's job. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the school's job. It's not the youth leader's job. Their job is only to reinforce what you have been teaching. It is your job. And 
I have always loved this part of being a parent. I'm always so excited when I may begin to unpack the beauty of what God created in our sexuality. You say, oh, I don't dare to talk about that. Now, hopefully after tonight you will dare. You need to look at it as a privilege. There's something so precious, so beautiful, so tender, so special. And you must see yourself as the God-appointed initiator of this most beautiful personal aspect. Here's where my parents failed. Because I became a teenager. My body was developing. And before that time, those girls, they had cooties and they were dirty. No, they were girls. But all of a sudden, my mind changed about these girls. And they became the most attractive people in the world. Right? You've all been there. And my body was screaming and these girls were screaming and there was nobody that talked to me. I'm so curious what girls look like. I am so confused about what's happening in my body. Woke up one day as a teenager with a wet dream. I didn't know what was happening to me. Yeah? At 13 years of age, someone in my surroundings taught me masturbation. I never heard of it before. Never known anything about it. Started a battle until the day I was married. Spiritual battle, sexual battle, emotional battle, social battle. But nobody I dared to talk to because nobody had talked to me about it. Except my friends, which weren't really friends. And all the stuff that you hear in sexual jokes, I learned everything about sex the wrong way. And I am a minister's son. And I went to the church every Sunday. And I went to a Christian school every day. And everything I learned about it, I learned from my dirty friends. And maybe they had the same problem as I did. They learned from somebody else. Fathers, mothers, can I plead with you that you won't allow that to happen to your child? Because the wrong track in their mind. And if they are on that track and have never learned to talk to you openly about it, they will not initiate the conversation with you. You have to. And that's my whole point tonight. And what a beautiful part it is to show them that sexuality is a beautiful flower. I actually use a flower. I think I've used that example before for you. I usually have a flower, a couple of them, one in the early stage, in the middle stage, in the budding out stage, and, and the full bloom stage. And I just kind of talk about that, you know, look how that this thing develops and what do you think is going to happen if I break this leaf and I poke in this bud and I take some petals out and now look what this what is this flower going to look like and then I say now this is you and this is when you were five, six years old and this is when you are nine, ten, eleven, twelve maybe, you don't know when God starts on your body and now look what's happening you're changing and this is such a special time when as father and mother or together, you walk your child from that early stage on the journey of understanding their sexuality. 
We teach our children how to bike. We teach them how to say thank you and please. We teach them how to sit still in church. At least we try. Right? But we don't seem to teach very much about that which is consuming more of their thoughts than anything else. So avoid the SCS, Sexual Code of Silence. It's a tough subject, but you cannot afford not to talk about it. I already said I grew up under the SCS time. You don't talk about that, son. Period. Everybody else was talking to me. My body was. Girls around me were. I felt like a team of bucks was stampeding in me all day long. And I didn't know what to do with it. Now, you may be in a marriage situation where you also don't talk about your sex life as husband and wife. I'm always surprised about this when I do some marriage counseling. I ask the couple sometimes, have you ever read a book about sexuality together? No, 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 I've never done that. Write down this title, will you, if you have never done that? But everybody writes down this title, so nobody knows you've never done it, okay? (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) The title is uh, The Act of Marriage. And the, the author is Tim LaHaye. It's an old author. It's an old book. It's probably written in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I forget when. It's my book that I always give to every young couple that I lead to premarital counseling. At the end of the sixth or seventh evening together, um, right maybe two or three weeks before their wedding day, I give them that book to read. There's a couple chapters I assign for the boys only, for the girls only, for the men only, for the women only. And I says, you're going to transgress that chapter, I know that, because you're going to read that anyway, right? And then put them together, and so on. Beautiful book. Beautiful book. And, and as I tell them, it says, you read these chapters, especially these chapters before the wedding day, and then take the book on your honeymoon and go read the thing together. And talk about it. And discuss this. This is a vital and beautiful part of your marriage life. And so, this is what you maybe do, need to do yourself. And if you do that with each other, you become more comfortable to talk with your children. If this is a taboo subject between you and your spouse, I can see that you're never going to talk to your kids. But if you speak together openly about it, it will also be enriching for your own sexual life. Because there is a lot of frustration in marriages on that aspect. So thirdly, um, if you do not speak about sexual things in the proper setting, notice the third code, the SAA code, silent about abuse. I won't say much more about that, but if your children are not accustomed to speaking about sexual things with you, they certainly will not speak to you when something went wrong when someone is overreaching and abusing. So again, you're preparing your child for safety when you are able to speak with them. Now B, you say talking about sexual things seems to be embarrassing and fearful, and why do we sense this fear of awkwardness? I say three reasons. First of all, maybe you've had no role model. I didn't. Maybe you didn't either. Maybe your parents were just like mine. In that age, when I grew up, 
Don't talk about that. Secondly, feeling of shame. What I mean with that, there's of course something intensely private, and it ought to always remain that way, about your own sexuality and your own sex life. That is something we need to cover in an appropriate way, and the details of that is for no one except your spouse. So that can bring a sense of shame, and I think that's a good sense of shame. Yeah, Proverbs 5 says, let there be no strangers with this. So we don't allow strangers, other than our spouse, who is not a stranger, to be in the details. But there's another sense of shame. The shame that comes from a bad conscience. From a transgressions in your own life. And you might say, well, if I'm going to speak about this, I might, have to, I might face the question about, well, what about you, mom and dad? I had it today. <laughs> One of these 12 graders. I've been telling them about this, this, this law of progression. You'll see it in a moment. Where, you know, when one kiss already is going to, you know, get this charred up on your sexual arousal feeling. So I said, oh, maybe it's the best thing you don't even give a kiss until you're married. Oh, wow, that's uh, pretty radical. So one of them asks, did you do that? <laughs> Did you do that? I said, no, I didn't do that in my first marriage, but my second. Michelle and I, of course, I was a minister of that state, and I said to her, darling, we need to be really careful here. I am a needy man, I'm a lonely man, and uh, I'm a young man. And I don't want any appearance of evil on our relationship before we get married. And we only dated for about two and a half months when I remarried with my second wife. So, yeah, we made some strict guidelines for ourselves. And it was a struggle, even a 35-year-old man. Yeah, because that's a normal thing if you love each other. And so I was open with them that it is a struggle, but it is the best thing to do. Now, this third one, I don't know how, don't know when, don't know what. What should I say to our boy? How do you begin this? How much, do, how much should they know? And when do we start talking about these things? And how specific are you to be? And do we talk boys only to boys? Or do we talk, you know, father to daughter as well? Good questions. All of those, I think, will be answered a little later. C. Can I just emphasize that a success in sexual education is not going to be successful if you have not built a relationship with your children? Relationships is one of the most important building blocks for opening up subjects that are difficult. Now, I don't know how much you know about the beauty of how God has created us, but take a little baby. Baby is born, mom and dad holding the baby, stroking the baby, kissing the baby, nursing the baby rocking the baby. You know what's happening in that baby? You know, by what you're doing, that stroking and that touching and that kissing, you are releasing a hormone in the baby's body. It's called oxytocin. Do you know that? That is the bonding hormone. 
You sometimes have heard that when children are born and they need to go in the ICU and they're separated from mom and dad, they haven't hold these kids for days, weeks sometimes. Those children often in later year develop a real difficulty of attachment. Attachment disorders are often caused by the neglect in the first two weeks of their life. It's incredible how God has created us. So this touching, this this caressing of the child is creating a bond and releases in the hormonal structure of her body this, this oxytocin. Now the same thing happens when your child has this little knee problem, right? They come in running and screaming as if the world is ending. Oh! You say, what's the problem? Oh, my knee! You think the whole knee is bleeding and you see this little scratch. Oh, kid, come on my lap and you cuss the child and you kiss the knee. What are you doing again? You're releasing oxytocin. That's a bonding thing. That's how your child gets bonded. Now, fast forward. Here we are having two teenagers that are cuddling together. They're not married. They're cuddling together. What's happening? They're releasing oxytocin. They're bonding. That's what it's meant to do. But yeah, they're not staying together. They're going to tear themselves apart again. Oh, they scar themselves immediately. Because they did bond for a moment, and then they break up again, and there's a scar. Emotional scar. Well, they do it the next time with another guy or another girl, another guy, and finally they get married in the scar there. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever known that? See, if we let these little facts trigger through our discussions and with our children, says, look, when you begin to cuddle with them, you actually begin to bond with them. And in the English language that is reflected in the statement, when we come together as father and mother, we make love together. You ever thought about that statement? You're not just loving, you're making love. You're increasing it. That's how it should be. But then if it breaks up again, ooh, tears. It's not what it's meant to do. So this relationship building through the appropriate touch and an appropriate spending of time together is, the, is as it were, the foundation of the next stage in which you begin to introduce rule. You don't begin to introduce rules to your baby of one year old or let's say one month old. You don't say to that kid, well, I wish you could. Now you go to bed at seven o'clock and you don't wake up to seven o'clock. Wouldn't that be cool? Man alive, I never had any babies that did that. I mean, mine always woke up four, four times for the next seven years, I think. <laughs> But you don't make rules with little babies. I mean, you try, but you first bond, and then you begin to induce the rules. Now, nothing teenagers. If I don't have a relationship bond with my child, forget about your rules. Then you try to impose them on your teenagers. They have no respect for that, because they don't feel no connection to you. Fathers, particularly you, we often wake up way too late. We've been living for our business and our farm and for all other things. And we forget our kids. And all of a sudden we wake up and say, Wow, this kid is actually quite old already. He's already 14, 15. Oh, wow, he's talking about girls all the time. 
You've missed a whole lifetime of this growing up child already, of relationship building. If you haven't been doing that, they're really not going to listen to you anymore. When they're that middle of their adolescence, when the raging storm of hormones is in their body, and their friends are on their neck and everything else. So, fathers, do not forget that your relationship with your children is crucial. I spoke to a policeman not too long ago in New Zealand. He said to me, the biggest problem in the New Zealand society is the absentee father. We have the highest number of solo moms in the world in New Zealand. The highest percentage of solo moms. Our society is totally falling apart. We have the highest number of youth suicides right below Japan. That is a shocking statistic for that beautiful country in New Zealand. Why is that? Absentee fathers. Fathers, take a look at yourself. If I would ask you to make a business card tonight, who would identify you, what would you put on there? Now, after I just said, you're probably going to put the right thing on there. But I did the one with the men's club, and I, if I was, had a chance to do your men's club tomorrow, I would have done that, but I don't have the chance. I have to go early. I was giving you a little business card, and I did it to all my guys in my church. And uh, I said, write down there what is, uh, you know, how you would identify yourself. And there are all kinds of beautiful cards, farmers, plumber, builder, teacher. I was, a, I think, one or two that did it the right way. Big letters, husband, father. And on the back, in small letters, electrician. Would that be your business card? Let's be honest. Is that how you think about yourself as a guy? If not, you've got a little repenting to do today. That ought to become your focus. I just spoke to a man who for 25 years invested in his own business. And he's a little bit baffled that his wife walked off. And his kids are not much close at all to him. So I'm not baffled. For 25 years you've given the message. You're not there for them. So don't expect them to stay. See, fathers? Now, understanding God's teaching about sexual relationships... I, I'm interweaving already a lot, so I'll go quick. God created sexual relationship as good. Now, here's that word holy. Notice the text on uh, number 2a. Sexual relationship within marriage is holy. In our King James Version, it says, Marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. I do not know why, but I, I, I think I could guess why. The translators use the word bed. Because if they use a literal word in the Greek, it might have been a little bit in the face. But it is in the Greek. In the Greek, it's the word koitis. The koitis is undefiled. And koitis is intercourse. That's the word. Now read the text again. Marriage is honorable and all, and the intercourse is undefiled. Undefiled is holy in the marriage. It's sacred. Now, holy is not sinless. 
Yeah, in the tabernacle we had holy cups. That has nothing to do with sin. There were cups that were dedicated only for the use in the tabernacle. Yeah? That's what the word holy means. Holy is set aside, separated, dedicated. So when we talk to our children about sex, we say, children, sex is something sacred. Something holy. Something set aside by God for one particular setting. And the setting is marriage life. In that setting, it's holy. Outside that, it is damaging, deadly, sinful, wrong, dangerous, devastating. But within the marriage, it is like a warming fire. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 and 4 is a real positive commandment. Um, Apostle Paul is uh, answering questions on the Corinthians. They have a lot of questions to ask and issues to deal with. Apparently in chapter 7 they have issues about merits. Paul begins the chapter with giving a little warning. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Then he goes on to speak about how to avoid fornication. And every man ought to have his own wife. And every woman had her own husband. Then comes verse 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto her husband. What does that word benevolence mean? Kindness. Right? Being nice. But in this context, what does benevolence mean? It means simply this. As a husband, I have a task to keep my wife's sexual tank full. And my wife has a task to keep my sexual tank full. That's the benevolence he's talking about. That is God's command within the marriage so that I would not fall into fornication. See how positive this is? And therefore the next verse, the apostle says, the wife has not the power over her own body but the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power over his own body but the wife. And defraud ye or deprive ye not one another except with consent. That's the positive side of the seventh commandment. You always see the seventh commandment in the negative side. Thou shalt not have a commit adultery. What's the positive reversal of that commandment? Thou shalt have regular sexual intercourse with your husband or wife. Do you ever understand the seventh commandment in the reverse way? That's what it says. So that he or she would be protected also from the sin of fornication, which is sexual sin. It is God's expectation that I do everything to keep Michelle satisfied without temptations. And it is her job to fulfill all my sexual needs as long as she's married to me. God is not negative about sexual things. We need to take our children to those passages from time to time in which the Lord speaks very positively about his design of this sexual life. Proverbs chapter 5. Listen to this verse. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth 
And let her be as the loving hind in the pleasant row, and let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished with her always in love. Now, clear language, isn't it? The word ravished is a pretty strong word. Don't you ever notice that word? You know what it says in the Hebrew? Be always intoxicated with her. Or if I use a more common word, be drunk with her love. I just love that verse. It's so positive. And God says, look, I created this for you both to enjoy in your marriage. It's my gift to you. You look at animals, they mate, but they don't have that joy. That's just an instinct. They don't have relationship building, they don't have intimacy like that, they don't have that. But I created that for you, as husband and wife. And friends, this is the positive, positive thinking that our children need to grow up with. Because the whole world is giving them a different message. It's selfish, it is self-satisfying, it is about me, it's about taking out of the context. I, I this morning showed them the two pictures, uh, a beautiful little home with a cozy little fireplace. It is look really cozy gezellig there, with the fire going and going on. I said to the kids, look, that fire belongs in the fireplace and that's what God created that for, fireplace. And now look at the next picture, the house is totally in the flames. What happened? While well, somebody was building a fire on the couch. This is what happens. House burns down. Why? Because the fire belongs not on the couch. It belongs in the fireplace. So your sexuality is something to make your whole marriage life cozy and warm and gezellig and beautiful and romantic. But only in the marriage. If you take this sexuality thing outside the marriage, it's going to be like this house. You're going to burn yourself. And you're going to burn the other person. And there's no joy in the end. It's guilt, pain, regret, all kinds of stuff. Now, I think they understand that, don't you think? But I also understand that you need a break. So, once again, I <clears throat> so appreciate your presence here. Um, you know, I've talked to a few of you now already. And I asked you, did your parents talk to you? And I hear, no, no, no. Lots of times still, I know I never had any education either. So I know you guys are going to break the pattern. Because you came here already tonight. And hopefully you get a little bit of a tool in the toolbox that your parents didn't have. I don't want to blame any parents and grandparents. My, my dad was a peach of a man. Just loved them up and down. But he grew up in an age where he didn't get the tools in his toolbox that I now have and try to give to you. Right? So, no stone throwing, no guilt, but please, let's do something with what we are learning tonight. I already did section three. That's why, you know, I lost my notes. I came over the place. It gets all confused. So, we'll go to question section four. Um, then how now do we practically guide them to... Remain chaste and embrace TSA. Now, TSA stands for my uh, uh, for what I'm trying to promote today with the kids: total sexual abstinence before marriage. TSA. And uh, if you look for a moment, ah, uh, oh, 
maybe we, you can look at the back page for a moment, this little graph. Um, I gave him that today. And uh, it was kind of funny. I don't dare to do it with this, but I had a glass bo- uh, 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 and I had a bottle this morning with them. And, you know, it made perfect sense to them. They, they understood exactly where I was going. I, I took a, a water bottle like this and I pretended it was a really beautiful crystal vase. And, uh, you know, an heirloom of my mother and my grandmother. Really, really expensive. And all of a sudden I let the bottle drop. And I caught it right here. And they were pretty impressed that I did. <laughs> Except my pride came to my fall because the last time on the day I missed the bottle. <laughs> so I won't do that now. So I asked him, he says, you know, why did that bottle fall? I let it fall. No, I didn't. It didn't fall because I let it go. It did fall because there's a law of gravity. Right? And as I was talking, I all of a sudden flung out my hand and I just about hit a guy on his nose. And he went like, like that. He says, you see what he do? That's normal. That was a reflex. That's a healthy guy. His nervous system is working well. And then I went to this chart. I says, guys, what happens when you touch a girl? First time you touch her hand, you think you're flying to the moon. Wow, so exciting. Electricity going through your hand and her hand. Wow, this is so exciting to walk down the, 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 the street, you know, until you come to the end of the street and your hand is all sweaty. <laughs> it's not that exciting, but there's something happened to your chemistry. And I looked at this chart with them. It says, this is normal, guys. The moment you guys and girls touch each other with intention of physical affection, you're going to get your sexual arousal up. Your body starts sending all kinds of hormones into your bloodstream and everything in your body is getting prepared. And you know that as you're married. That's why we have what we call foreplay. It's an important part of lovemaking because that's how you biologically prepare your body for the final climax of intercourse. And if you skip that part, uh, it's sometimes very difficult, especially for your wife. Yeah, these are trade secrets. Tim LaHaye's book. Right? Go get it. But anyway, perhaps you know that already, but they don't know that. They think it's an innocent game to hold hands. It's an innocent game to start kissing. I said, guys, most of the time, when your mom and dad make love together, that starts with a kiss. That's normal. That's how it goes between your parents. So that's why you ought not to be doing this stuff. Because once you go farther and farther, you go faster and faster and you lose your brain. Brain? Yeah, because this, this hormone that you release is this kind of switching off your thinking ability. That's really beautiful how God has created us. And when we make the love, we are really in a different world. Now, if you're married, you know that. That's something so beautiful, so intimate, so precious. They need to know about this law of progression. Because this stuff is hard to handle. Just like that reflex, you can hardly control it when it happens. So can we not handle the law of our biological progression. So, handy chart to have with you when you talk to your kids. Right? And be open about it. And that made sense to them. Law of gravity, law of reflex, law of progression. Now... Let's go.
how do you then remain chaste? How do we get them to see this TSA principle? Now, number one, daily normal family devotions from your youngest years. I have always held to the model, I am not silent at the dinner table about what God is not silent about in the, in the Bible. So, Genesis, Dinah goes to seek and gets raped. And let's stop at that verse, kids. Let's talk about that. Rape is sexual violence. How old? Five years, six years, seven years. Why not? I remember I was in the Ristar and had to uh, do my student teaching. So I was sent out to Boskelp to do Kleuterschool. You have to do that two weeks. So I'm there between all these Kleuters, little kids. And the teacher says, tomorrow you do the Bible story. I'm just, you know, two months in my training. I said, okay, what's the Bible story? Joseph and Potiphar. <laughs> I said, really? I'm going to teach these kids to follow Joseph and Potiphar's story. How are you going to do that? She says, I'll leave that to you. So I was thrown before the lions. <laughs> right? But I, I agree with that teacher now. Then I didn't. I thought you should just skip that story. I just don't need to hear that kind of stuff. But this stuff happens already at that level. And so I forget how I survived the story. I don't even remember how I did it. But our children need to hear these stories of Joseph and Potiphar, Judah and Tamar. Um, we in our family devotions right now in the book of Samuel. So we got the David and Bathsheba. My son is also called David, so it's a little awkward. But David and Bathsheba story. But he was all ears again. You know the story. But as you read the story, you know. What did Bathsheba do wrong, David? Well, she didn't do anything. You know, David did the wrong, not Bathsheba. I said, are you kidding me? You think it's okay for me to go and wash myself as a woman on the roof when the, 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 the king's window is right there? Come on now. Don't think that Bathsheba is innocent. Because that's not normal. She lured that king. And he fell right for it. Don't think that she is most of the blame and he's not quite much of the blame because, you know, she wasn't dressed very properly. You know, he is 100% responsible and she was 100% responsible. Now, these are wonderful opportunities to talk plain with your children about nakedness, about, you know, pornography, about what do you do when you see something like that. You know, what if you run that across the screen and there's all of a sudden a naked woman standing in front of you? What do you do? So I was talking to them. I said, you know, David, a couple of years ago, Papa was in, uh, on the way to China and he got down, uh, delayed for a day, so I stuck in a motel in Chicago. And I had to do a topic preparation. And uh, says, Papa, I had to do topic on pornography so I thought well I better go do that then and do some research so I type in pornography bang I mean this was no filter and I was scared what I saw not on the screen I was not terrible what I saw on the screen but you know I said David what Papa was most scared about I felt like clicking on one of those all of a sudden, 
I took the phone and I said, Michelle, I need your help. I'm here really actually quite tempted. Will you please help me? Now, I admitted that pornography tempted me at that moment. That's what David needs to hear, my David. I'm no different than him. That's family devotion, teaching about dangers of sex, and that gives you also opportunity to speak about the beauty of my relationship. I could call my wife, and I could tell her, look, I'm actually tempted about this, and I'm sorry, will you please help me? See? That's what our kid needs to hear. Not the bad, the rules, no, they need to hear you also struggle. Because that opens for me, that opens for David the door to come to me, and he did that. He says, yeah, sometimes there are pictures also that I don't really think they should, I should see. So David, will you let me know then? Now we've got to do something about that. That's what I mean with daily devotions. You're not just necessarily saying, let's have the big talk today. No. When you come to Leviticus 18, that chapter needs to go uh, as a family devotion. Leviticus 18 is about don't cover the nakedness of your brother and your sister and of your mother and everybody else. Father's not. This, this chapter needs to be discussed. That is called sexual abuse prevention. That's why the chapter is there. Anyway, daily devotions. Don't be silent on anything God speaks. I know what your temptation is when you get to those chapters in your family reading time. You say, oh, I hope the kids don't listen very well today. Because <laughs> I don't want these questions. I'm challenging you to make sure they listen well. And ask them, hey, what did we just read? What did he say there? We let her breast satisfy all the time. What do you think he means there? Is that allowed? Yes, David. I'm allowed to enjoy Michelle's breast all the time. You are not. They are my wife's, not yours. Now that's straight talk. That is making perfect sense to this boy. And nobody's breasts are yours. Except your wife's in the future. Ah. Well, a lot of those girls are showing their breasts quite nicely to me. Can I look at them? I says can't look at them. Hard, isn't it? Even Papa has that difficulty. What do we do then? Now, these are, these are the most precious moments I find in my family devotions. Just these little moments of talk with this boy who's a 15-year-old and he's journeying into this puberty type. So, talk, friends. Number B, proper role modeling within the family. Do you ever hug each other in the presence of your kids? What do the teenagers say when you do that? Well, what do they say? You stand there with your wife and a big, nice, tight hug and a good old kiss on their cheek, you know, before you go away. And what do they say? Hi, you guys. Come out. <laughs> but they love it, don't they? They really love it. They love seeing you making this connection of affection. Role modeling. It's so important. This is so healthy that they see mom and dad love each other and they show physical affection to an appropriate level, of course, in public. That's obvious. I, but I grew up with that. That's one thing my dad certainly did very well. <laughs> he sure hugged my mother all the time. And uh, we as kids, you know, did the same as my kids do to me. 
But please let your young and older children see you holding hands, see you, you hug, see the normal physical affections. And fathers, do you know that your daughters need just appropriate non-sexual physical hugs from you? I know you feel a little awkward and you have to do it in appropriate settings. But please give your daughters physical appropriate non-sexual affection. Why? They're hungry for it. If you don't give it, there's another guy who will try to give it. And research shows that the more normal physical affection you give to your daughters, the less likely they are to fall for someone who's offering that to them as well. But a little different name tag attached to it. Yeah? So don't be shy to lay your arm around their shoulders and say to them, you are the most pretty girl, or one of the most pretty girls, if you have more daughters. <laughs> right? They need to hear your upbuilding. You need to hear your positiveness yeah, about how beautiful they are. Again, appropriate. Now, the question sometimes is, well, how much do you tell about your own personal intimate life? You know, parents ask me that question. Now, what do you say? Where is the boundary? I always, uh, I always use Proverbs 5 as a guideline where it says, Why will thou, my son, uh, uh, be ravished of a strange woman? No, that's not the text. Why would thou embrace? No, that's not the text either. Where is it now? Um, Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. So what God here is saying is your sexual intimate life is private. We don't talk about it to our friends. Uh, we told, and please talk about that also with kids. We don't talk about that ever with other people. But you also have to be careful. But you know, your kids are observant. They know that mom and dad sometimes shower together. You don't have to hide that. There's also nothing inappropriate about doing that. They think maybe that's silly and stupid and idiot until they grow up. And they think, well, it's not that stupid and silly after all. Right? So, really, sometimes in a natural way, you can let them know these are the appropriate things you do as a married man and a woman. Yeah. Sometimes my wife and I go away for a couple of days. And so, why are you going away again? I just like to spend some personal time with your mother. Sometimes we're getting so tired and we're getting so tired and ragged out that at night I don't feel like doing anything but to hit the pillow. And so sometimes it's nice to just have a couple of days where we can relax and spend also some intimate time together again. Oh, they would have figured it out themselves anyway. Right? Mom and Dad are not going to sit there on two different chairs the whole day looking at the sunset and the sunrise. <laughs> so that why not just share in an appropriate way? This is for your mom and dad just a little retreat again away from all the stresses of the family to spend some time together. They will clue in. They know that. But if you make it a discussable item, they begin to say, oh, that is so beautiful. And then some of the older kids, you know what they'll say? Hope you have a lovely time together, Mom and Dad. I find that so special. Yeah? That is not anything you need to be ashamed about. 
But please don't allow sexual degrading jesting and teasing. I know you say, of course I agree with that. Today, or was it yesterday? Was it was yesterday in the other school? I had a little talk with some of those teachers. And they were talking about the 12th grade locker room talk that was overheard just the other day. And so I was going to mention it tonight, as I did last night. Um, sometimes 12th graders are talking very derogatory about their own mother in a sexual way. Not your son. But it could become your son. You need to speak to your boys about this sexual joking and testing. And there is a lot of that going on among them. That is so dishonoring to the male race. Put them on an honor trip, not on a guilt trip. And say, boys, men, we are created to be protectors and we need to protect the beauties and the honor of our female counterparts. Especially, obviously, though, as you know, your family, don't make great jokes about mother, about sisters, and so on. Just mention it, because you trigger a memory. You'll trigger memories of what goes on in these locker rooms. And I, you know, you're shocked. If I would hear my, anybody joke about me, my wife, or my mother, wow, I think they'll have a bloody nose, but they probably shouldn't have that. But I have talked to ladies whose father has wounded them with degrading jokes about their physical development, about the small size of their breast. That is hurtful, isn't it? And, and that ought not to happen, because then you wound the child, the person, even into their adulthood with such horrific things. And I must mention to you, because I meet, I meet these kind of situations. Now, number C, daily life situations we encounter. Deuteronomy says we need to talk to their children about God and about everything about God when we walk by the way, when we sit in the chair, when we drive the car, and everything else. There is so much around us that would give you a little opportunity to speak. Walking through a grocery checkout lane is a torrentious journey of temptation, isn't it? All these magazines that are hanging out there. And so just once in a while when you do that with your child, you know, point it out, you know, guys, this is the stuff that's really hard. It's also really sad that these women are giving themselves or perhaps are coerced to do this. I mean, what a degrading thing to have yourself like that on the cover of a magazine. That's not how we treat women. That's also not, girls, how you ought to ever give yourself. These are just little moments. Just walk on again. You plant a seed. Those are the, the real moments you need to make use of. Billboards you see, hearing about a sexual abuse case. And, and when they ask you questions... Or when you hear them use words that are totally inappropriate. You know, I, I'm getting 61, I'm a little out of this vocabulary of what these kids talk about. But 
when my little David came home from the state school in Oakfield, and he came home with words that I think they didn't quite sound like these words, what is that mean? So you Google it nowadays, right? And you get the definition. Wow, this is shocking. You're talking at fourth grade level about that? Right, so we need to explain to our children appropriate language and this inappropriate language. All that is just in your daily way. Um, then number D, reading through books. Now, I will uh, not say much about D. I've talked about it enough in my sexual abuse prevention, but I just remind you of it again, you do need to talk and read with your children about sexual abuse prevention books about body awareness, about boundaries, and about safety strategies. If you are, uh, you know, looking for the books, you'll find them. But number E is what I love myself over the years. Reading a book as father, son, and mother, daughter before and during their puberty and adolescence. I'm sure you could do it as father and mother with son and daughter, I guess I've always kind of uh, let myself uh, do the voice um, in the in-depth and let my wife do the girls in-depth just to keep things pure. And, uh, you know, some of you struggle, so how do you begin? Let a book help you. Read together to a book. And it's so beautiful when you start it the first time and you sit down with the kid in the bed at night and say, you know, Daddy, there's a special book here and we're going to read it together. Chapter tonight, we're going to discuss it and the chapter next night. Nearly all of my kids would tug me on the shoulder sometimes and say, hey, Dad, it's been a couple of nights now. Are you coming and read that other book again with me? See, they, they look forward to that time. And what a bonding time. When you sit together on that bed and you read these books about physical development, you know, as a boy you're going to grow your hairs on special places and you get your body ready and your genitals are going to change and your feelings are going to change and so on. God is making you ready for being a father or husband. And you know, they, they, they sit there just listening. And when it gets too much, they say, okay, yeah, Dad, I, I'm getting sleepy now. Good. We're going to bed now. Let's pray together about this. I leave the book with you. You can reread the chapter again when you have a little time tomorrow. And guess what? They just about memorize it. <laughs> they read it so often. Because it's a lot to process, right? And it's a whole new world for them. And it's so beautiful. And I always tell them, don't read the next chapter. I'm sure they peek at the next chapter. It's okay. Because this is a healthy curiosity. And I'm guiding the process. So, on the, on the very back side of your page, I've given you a list of about nine books. There's probably lots more, but you know, I, I don't have all the books anymore. The one I've really liked lately is the second one, Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle. There's also a book for every man's battle. For sons, that is an excellent book. Um, but that's not the first book. You probably want to start with your boys and your girls the one growing up God's way for girls and boys. And you can start it already even about eight. They're written real simple, really beautiful, in a very, very nice way. And again, someone suggested to me the number nine, Passport to Purity and Passport to Integrity. You can buy it at Amazon. And uh, I didn't, I looked at it. I didn't ever use it because it was not known to me. But it's kind of like a little course you do with your child over a period of several months. 
and really beautiful material. If you check out the lovewiseorg.uk, excellent material, really well prepared. So you don't have to do the work, but you've got to be the teacher as father and mother to use these resources and make this subject discussable. Uh, and in that very discussion, yeah, share your own struggles. Let your child know that you were in always that yet you failed. Yeah, allow them to know that. That gives recognition. This is a battle, and this is a battle where we need each other yeah, to 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 learn. Straightforward talk on number three. How many of your girls are hating it when you tell them that they need to dress better? I hear it so often that the girls are saying it's not right. It's just guys' fault. They are that's their problem, not my problem. Heard that? Now they're right about that. If I look at a woman to lust, that's my problem, not hers. But it's also a little bit hers because I. I just use an example, you know, I have a little bit of a gunpowder barrel in me. It's called sexual lust. It's like dry gunpowder. And if any spark goes into that, it got an explosion. Boom. Now, how do you get sparks in there? It's by seeing a woman, just even a very decent woman could be a spark. Just seeing the shape of her body could be a spark. Certainly if I see a little bit too much skin or I see a little bit of a uh, exposed uh, breast area. Uh, we know that, right guys? We're not going to be lying about that. And we need to let our girls know that. I will say to my girls sometimes and I say it to the kids this afternoon at school. There are sometimes moments in my preaching standing on the pulpit that I consciously block out a certain section of my congregation because there's somebody sitting there throwing sparks in my heart standing on the pulpit preaching it's not done when I'm preaching and, and they need to know that we're not perverts we're just normal guys God has wired my sexuality to my eye and kids need to learn to understand that this is how our Creator made us. He didn't make us wrong, He made us right because when you're married, you want to look at that beautiful woman that is your wife. Now, then talk to the, to the girls about how God has wired them, right? God has not wired you to the eyes. When all of a sudden a naked man will walk the door out there, girls, what would you do? And they all say, oh, forget that, yucky. I don't want to see that. I said, right, right, exactly. That is yucky in the first place. It's also yucky when a naked woman walks into the door. But we don't say yucky. That's how God made me. Now, I might say that's wrong, and I might turn my head this way, and I say, you know what, that's wrong. But I am tempted to look, and you're tempted not to look. That's the difference between us, man, and him. Now, if you have this very candid, normal talk to your girls, I think they're going to get to see it a little better. Why they 
need to dress themselves appropriately. And what's inappropriately? I always said to my daughters, look, when you buy your clothes, I'll be honest with you. I'll be totally honest with you what a normal man would think when he sees you like that. Now, some of my daughters didn't appreciate it. They didn't always listen to me, but I did hear it. And I told them, I said, you know, that dress is blah, 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 blah. They've heard it. Now it becomes their responsibility. Do not forget that you need to teach your children to make their own choices. When they're about 15, 16, this father is beginning to back off. Not back off in terms of telling what the child needs to decide to do, but backing off in saying, you must do that. I don't do that. I let my 15, 16-year-old make their own choices about their clothing and even about their, to a certain extent, recreational choices. But I do talk to them about it. Let's look what God says about this. Let's look what you say about that. And now let's look what, what, what choice you need to make. And why do I do that, friends? Because parenting is to help my child to leave me in the right way. And I need to train them to make their own decisions. They just not suddenly will make the right decisions when they're 20 and leave my house. They need to be trained to make the right decisions. And there are sometimes choices that my kids have made that I feel really sad about and I'll tell them that but please give them the opportunity and the trust and I have to say that most of the time my kids have never disappointed my trust in them and I see so often my daughter came to school with my bank card knowing my number and the kids just about fell over in her classroom you got your dad's bank card and you know his number I mean, my dad would never do that to me. This is all she said to me. Oh, what's wrong with that? I just have to go get some gas on the way back, and I didn't have cash. She said, here's my car. You use it for that. That's the only thing you use it for. Now, I've been doing this ever since my kids were young. Give them the trust. Parents, give them the trust about their sexual life to a certain extent. But tell them what the boundaries are, help them to keep the boundaries, remind them about how to reassert themselves about these boundaries. But don't be the legislator, except when they're young. And as they grow older, let them become the executive about their own life. That's a hard one for us parents, because we want to make sure that they don't, Listen good. Topple our idol. Because most problems between parents and teenagers is not about your teenager. It's about you. What are people going to think about me? If you do that. You recognize that? Yeah, especially me, right? Being a minister, what are you going to do, a minister? Child. Oh, I have never raised my kids that way. Uh, PK kids don't exist in my, uh, in my vocabulary. You're just like any other kid. But I did recognize, I remember so well, they had to uh, 
go to New Zealand, they don't wear ties in New Zealand. Even the grown-up men don't, except the consistory members. You've got to give a tie then. But I, know I was used to the American culture, and I thought a tie is, to me, a very appropriate thing when you come to church. So I gave my kids a little lecture about these. You guys are 15, 16 now. I know you buy all your own clothes. When you're 15, they buy their own clothes. I give them a little money. That's their budget, and they can blow it on an expensive brand name, and then they'll go to the Salvation Army for the next three months. <laughs> right? But anyway, I say, you know, guys, uh, tie is not really your, your thing. So I pay for the tie... But I really require you to wear a tie on the Lord's Day in church. I know you're going to be a little oddball, but maybe you'll be a good experience, good, good influence. <laughs> Sunday morning comes around. There comes the one downstairs. Bright yellow tie. Bright pink tie. Bright fluorescent green tie. <laughs> so, what do you do as a parent? Take a scissor and <laughs> no tie. I says, I had to really laugh. And I said to him, guys, you couldn't find a better tie. <laughs> Everybody's going to notice you today. Everybody's going to smile at you today. Go for it. <laughs> they were more embarrassed than I was. <laughs> but you see, the real problem, what I felt was, what are they going to think about me as a dad? Along this. This is so often the case with teenagers. They have no respect for your idols. And that's what we're fighting for. And don't do that. This is off the, off the chart, so let me get back to this last thing. Uh, Law of Progression talked about, yeah, beast of pornography. I think you have heard enough sessions about pornography, right? Have you got that? In this congregation too? It was a guy from Malman or so? Uh, Justin, who was his name again? Van Maren, he's been here? Jonathan Van Maren, there you go. Anyway, I think he's the pornography expert in the NRC, so you should really get him in uh, repeatedly, because this is a beast. Now, F, now we come to the time they're going to uh, go out with friends, you know, uh, 16, go on the youth group, go out with the friends, fathers, mothers, talk, talk talk. Don't assume you've had your talk. No. Keep on. Keep on. Uh, especially number G, accountability guidance when they begin courtship. Uh, I have still two daughters that are unmarried. The youngest one says she never gets married. She wants to remain single all her life. We'll see if that stacks up eventually. But Anyone who wants to date my daughter has to have first a date with me. Spread the rumors. <laughs> this is really a fun time. But the, reason, the only reason that I do this is because I want that young man who is going to take my daughter out for a nice little date to keep my commitment to my daughter. And my commitment to my daughter is I want to do everything possible in my adult life as a father to you that when you come to the marriage day, you are a virgin. You are pure and your garden is not invaded. And I want to make, I want to guarantee you of this young man, before he goes out, that he knows, I don't think it's fair to let my daughter say that to him, even though I encourage them to. And I say the same to my boys, of course I don't have to uh, guard the 
daughter-in-law. But as they go out dating, I have a sit-down with my boys as well. I says, you're a young man, you're the leader. Will you be the gatekeeper of that garden and go no farther? Walk with your kids. Establish a purity grade with them. At the every week for a moment, you touch base with them and say, Hey, how's it going with your purity grade? Ah, Dad's been a real struggle the other day. Yeah, what's the strategy for the next time you're together? Ah, that kind of a talk, guys. Fathers, mothers, don't assume they're promise keepers and will keep the promise. If you don't stay on top of their, then, uh, yeah, they will probably slowly on relax their promise. Thank you so much. I'm done talking. Ten minutes over time. Maybe two hours over time. <laughs> Any questions, real quick ones? Otherwise, I'll stick around for a little bit for personal questions. But any big question right now, otherwise we're going to close and uh, you can go off to uh, home. So we pray together. Beloved Lord, this is such a sensitive subject. Undoubtedly tonight, thou hast marched us back also in our own memories and our failures and shortcomings. And Lord, we know that thou art a God full and forgiveness and ready to pardon. And to grant us also tonight a sense of that is, uh, is special. And we seek that for ourselves as parents, as grandparents. Lord, we, we know the struggles that our parents and our grandparents had growing up in this time when this never was spoken about. But help us now as a new generation parents to make a difference and to lead our children in the appropriate settings with the appropriate language in the beauty of what thou hast given men and women in marriage life to enjoy. And Lord, we pray that thou would give us wisdom. It is such a challenging time and we're dealing with children that are by nature fallen, filled with the passions of sin, particularly in the biological journey of teenage and adolescent age. Without the natural outlet, we just pray that thy grace may be given, that thou would help us to walk with them, to connect with them. And faithful God, we trust thee that thou would bless what we have today, tonight, together uh, explored. Go with us now, safely home again, and keep us for Christ's sake. Amen.